Hello, Brains On listeners. We are celebrating the 4th of July with an explosive blast from the past. One of our favorite episodes we've ever made, Fart Smarts, Understanding the Gas We Pass. And this encore episode includes a brand new honor roll at the end and a fresh moment of um, where we answer a fascinating listener question. Now, on to the show. You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Disclaimer. This episode acknowledges the existence of intestines, flatulence, and the various noises made by certain lower parts of the human body. Be warned, these things will be discussed in great detail. But also remember, it's okay to laugh. Now, pull my finger, and let's start the show. Irene, you just heard that announcement. Do you know what flatulence is? No. No? Well, flatulence comes from the Latin word flatus, which means a blowing wind. So it literally means breaking wind, which is another way to describe a certain phenomenon. Oh, so just like passing gas. Or tooting. Cutting the cheese. Barking spiders. Or guffing. Whatever you call it, we're talking about farts. And yes, farts are funny. Of course they're funny. But they're also really important. We're going to find out about what they are and the important things they do for our bodies. Keep listening. You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and our co-host today is Irene Weinhagen, who's nine years old. Hi, Irene. Hi, Molly. Today we're answering questions about the gas we all pass. All? Yes, Every human farts. In fact, the average human farts at least 15 times a day. That's from one cup up to half a gallon of gas each day. Since it is such a common phenomenon, it makes sense that our listeners are curious about it. Here's the first question we're going to tackle today. It was sent to us by 8-year-old Maggie from Ardmore, Alabama. My question is, are farts good for your body and why? The short answer is yes. Farts are good for your body. The why part of the question, though, is where the interesting stuff comes in. You probably suspect already that farting is tied to what we eat, and it is. But the gas we pass isn't actually produced by our bodies. When you think about digesting food, you probably think about the different body parts that help you do it. Your stomach. Your small intestine. Your large intestine. But some of the foods that you eat can't be broken down by your body without help. The help comes from trillions of microorganisms that live inside your gut. They're called microbes, and they're the ones producing the gas that we pass. To find out how these microbes produce that sometimes smelly gas, we're going to the source. Welcome back to Cooking with Kathy. We have a very special guest today, Benny Bacteria. Hi, Kathy. Thanks for having me. Benny? Where are you? Down here, on the counter. Oh, Jill, can we use the super-duper extreme zoom lens for this segment? Oh, much better. Benny, looking handsome. Oh, and it looks like broccoli's on the menu. Okay. I'm here to show you how I break down this broccoli here and turn it into energy that my body and yours can use. Oh, how exciting. Do you want to use my new immersion blender? Nah, I don't need that. But 
You need me. Your body can't break down complex sugars, fats, proteins, and fibers without me. So take this broccoli here. I break it down into its smallest parts, molecules. Then I take these polymer molecules and break them down into even smaller parts, called monomers. Can't say that I've ever tried a monomer. What's it taste like? <laughs> to me, it's delicious. It gives me all the energy I need, and some for you, too. Um, I don't mean to be rude, Benny, but what is that smell? Oh... Excuse me, Kathy. When I break down these molecules, I produce some gas as well. I don't need it, so I excrete it. But why does it smell like that? Kind of like a rotten egg? Oh, that's just the sulfur you're smelling. Broccoli contains sulfur, so when I process it, I produce hydrogen sulfide, which is frankly pretty darn stinky. You can say that again. Breaking down other foods, like, say, cheese or maybe whole wheat bread or something that contains high fructose corn syrup, well, those produce different gases that all smell different. Some are completely odorless. Ugh. Why couldn't we have done one of those foods? Well, I suppose we could have done other foods, like, like fatty foods and proteins. They don't produce much gas at all. But... Everybody loves broccoli. Jill, can you turn on the fan? Wow, Benny, thank you so much for being here today. <laughs> my pleasure, Kathy. After a break, I'll show you how to make my famous three bean casserole. Yes! Oh, uh, Benny, don't you have to run along? I guess. Smell you later. Really, Jill, we have to do something about this smell. To find out more about these helpful little living things that make digestion possible and are responsible for the gas we pass, we talked to Dan Knights from the University of Minnesota. He studies microbes through a combination of biology and computer science. I asked him how many microbes live inside of us. There are a lot of organisms living in your gut. There are usually several hundred different species, so different types of bacteria, and if you count up the actual number of cells of bacteria, it's somewhere around 100 trillion. That's enough that if you had, uh, say, like that many dogs living in your house, it would be enough to cover entire North America. It's actually more cells. There are more bacterial cells in your body than there are human cells. I was wondering about this. What do they look like? Uh, many of them look like little rods. Some of them have curves in them. Some of them have little tails that they use to spin around. Some are more like little balls, and they can attach to each other into a long chain of balls. So there, there are a lot of different shapes, but, but many of them look kind of like little tubes. They're kind of like your pets because you're carrying them around with you everywhere you go. They're not actually bad. Most of them are your friends. Um, most of them are helping keep you safe from bad bacteria, um, and they're helping you digest your food. What I'm wondering is when they do that, how does that create a fart? The bacteria often produce lots of gases. It just builds up inside you, and it has to get out somewhere. And when it comes out, that's what the fart is. Cool. So I remember when I first told you about all the microorganisms in their gut, you were kind of grossed out? Yes. Yes, I was, because... When you described it, 
I was imagining tiny little living worms crawling around in my body every day and that I I was like, gross. There are two things that maybe will make it a little bit less gross. One is that they're actually mostly only in your gut. So they don't get into the other parts of your body, um, like through your blood into your arms and legs and whatnot. Um, and the other is that they're really, really tiny. So if you think of, uh, if you think of a piece of poop is, you know, about so big, and then think of a piece of corn, uh, a little kernel of corn is probably 120th the size, like the poop is 20 or 30 times bigger than the corn. Rice is maybe, the corn is 10 times bigger than the rice. Then if you look at a grain of salt, the rice is probably 100 times bigger than the grain of salt. And the grain of salt is 600 times bigger than the bacteria. So that's how tiny they are. Wow. Yeah, they're so tiny that if you look at your fingertip, you can think of the little ridges on your fingertip like roads in a city of bacteria. And there are probably as many as many bacteria living just on one fingertip as there are people living in a small city. Wow, that 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 does change my opinion about it being so gross. They're they're really really tiny, and like I said, most of them are your friends and they're actually supposed to be there. They're also everywhere. They're on every surface in this room. They're all over your skin. Uh, food has them in it. Uh, and, and it's not really a bad thing. You actually want to have lots of bugs in you. And for the most part, you want to have lots of types of bugs. If you didn't have any bugs living in you, your immune system wouldn't develop properly. Your gut wouldn't actually physically develop all of the right structures in it. And it would make it very easy for you to get infected by a bad bug later on in life if you got exposed. Your bacteria actually come initially during birth. The other, I mean, the bacteria have to get in there somehow. So they're coming in generally through the mouth and they're coming in on the food that you're eating. They're coming in on uh, baby's hands when they touch things and then stick their hands in their mouths. And we know now that that's actually a really important normal thing, that we're really supposed to have all of these bacteria. And it would probably not be a good thing if you kept your baby extra clean all the time and prevented it from getting new bacteria into its tummy. Bacteria are all over us and um, all around us, and they live inside us. And yet we don't really know that much about many of them yet. So it's kind of a, a new frontier to explore. And I think in a way, because we can study them now using their genes, we're learning more about ourselves and how our own bodies work. We're working on a new episode all about animal farts. Turns out, a lot of animals fart. We want to hear what you think those farts sound like. Make a recording of your best fart guess. Maybe it's a monkey fart or a panda or a salmon. Maybe even a butterfly? Get creative and send your fart recordings to hello at brainson.org. Sandin and Mark are busy getting their talking points ready for their next debate. Which is cooler, deep sea or outer space? 
But before we hear from them, we want to hear from you. Which of those do you think is cooler and why? Send us your deep sea or outer space arguments to hello at brainson.org. We'll include some of them in our debate episode. And when you send us your ideas, you will be added to the Brains Honor Roll. We started it to thank all the amazing kids who share their mystery sounds, drawings, high fives, and questions. Like this one from Jasper in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Hi, my name is Jasper Cavanaugh. I am nine years old and from Chapel Hill. My question is, how does the Earth support really heavy buildings like the Empire State Building? We'll answer that question during our moment of um, and read the most recent group to be added to the Brains Honor Roll, all at the end of the show. You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Irene Weinhagen. And I'm Molly Bloom. Irene, before we go any further, it's time to put your ears to the test with the mystery sound. Mystery Don't worry, it's not a fart. Aww. Here it is. Any guesses? Maybe like a some kind of a truck with animals in it. Like, um, I don't know what kind of animal, but an animal that snorts you are besides getting, a pig. Yeah, you're getting very close. We'll be back with the answer in just a little bit. Irene, can you play us your mystery sound that you brought with you? So that was Irene's mystery sound that she brought for us. Do you have any guesses, people listening at home? Let's give them a second to think about it. Before you reveal the answer. Okay. What is it? Our mystery sound is a whoopee cushion. Can you describe what a whoopee cushion is? A whoopee cushion is a small bag with a small nozzle, which you blow air into and then sit on and it creates a noise like a fart. And what do you use a whoopee cushion for? You use a whoopee cushion for pranks, to just be funny. For all sorts of kinds of things. Whatever you need a fart sound for, but you don't feel like farting. (laughs) Perfect. And that brings us to our next question. My name is Jack. I live in Chicago, and I'm seven years old. My question is, why do farts make sound? Good question, Jack. Let's face it, the sound of passing gas is one of its most memorable... And comical... ...qualities. And like snowflakes, every fart is unique. Some are loud, some are long, some are short, and some are silent. Like ninjas, silent but deadly. Well, not all silent ones are deadly. True. In fact, a lot of silent farts are completely odorless. But how does a fart make noise? Here with the answer is producer Sandon Totten. Hey guys, Jack's question might sound a little strange at first, but it's pretty fascinating stuff. Basically, the noise factor has to do with three things. First, volume, or the amount of gas you pass. Second is force. That's how strong the gas is pushed out. And third is the size of the hole the gas rushes through. That hole, of course, is the one we also expel waste from. I'm talking about the hole in our rumps. I'll explain more about that aspect in a minute. But first, you may have noticed I didn't mention the cheeks of the derriere. A lot of people blame those for the sound of a fart, but in reality, they have very little to do with the noises we make. I guess that makes sense. I've heard dogs fart, and their butts are definitely not built the same way as ours. No cheeks on a dog. Right. So back to where the noise comes from. I mentioned it has a lot to do with the end of your digestive tract, that opening in your rear end. 
When a lot of gas is pushed out of that tiny opening in short order, it vibrates the tissue. As we learned in our music episode, check it out if you haven't, vibrations create sound waves. And in this case, when the opening of your bum vibrates, it goes... But what makes some farts so loud and others so quiet? And what about the silent ones? Okay, for that, I'm going to need some help. So I've asked a tuba to join me. Welcome, tuba. Now, musicians may not want to hear this, but farting is not too different from playing a brass instrument. Let us demonstrate. To make a sound, you have to press your lips tightly together and blow air through the opening of the instrument. Tuba, please. Now, let's try to blow the same amount of air through the opening with super tight lips. Go ahead, tuba. Of course, sometimes we pass just a little gas. So what does it sound like when you squeeze just a little air through tightly pressed lips? Sometimes you try to let that gas out slowly, as tuba here is demonstrating. But then you decide to push it all out fast just to speed things up. Sometimes we're more relaxed. So, Tuba, what does it sound like when your lips are more relaxed? And if your lips are really relaxed, pretty much silent. So, as you can hear, you can really get a lot of different sounds by varying things like the amount of air, the force that air is pushed out, and the size of the opening that air is pushed through. Wow, who knew our butts were so musically inclined? Farts are kind of like mini performances. Yeah, and you know, some people have actually made good money playing that bodily instrument. In the late 1800s, there was a gentleman in France named Joseph Pujol, and his stage name, I kid you not, was Lepetomane, which roughly means fartomaniac. What? That cannot be real. Seriously. He was famous for being able to control his farts. He would put on shows at the legendary Moulin Rouge Cabaret in Paris, where he'd do impressions. Here's a clip from a movie about his life. It's called Le Petomaine. Here he's played by an English actor, but it'll give you a sense of kind of what he did. First, I give you the tenor voice. The bass. The soprano. Wow, how did he do it? Lots and lots of beans. Actually, he learned to suck air into the opening of his behind and let it out at will. And he never had to worry about leaving his instrument at home. It was always with him. And he never had to schlep around a tuba everywhere. Thanks for the explanation, Sandin. See ya. Let's go back to that mystery sound. Here it is again, and this time with a little clue. So what is your guess now? Pretty much. I still don't know, but I'm thinking it's still some kind of a truck or something going down the street with some kind of an animal inside. Here with the answer is Brittany Shanka. She studies animal science at the University of Minnesota. The sound that you're hearing is a cow chewing her cud. She'll eat first, and then she'll swallow that food, and that will go into the first compartment of her stomach, and then eventually she'll spit that food back up and chew it up better, and then swallow it so it goes into the other compartments of the stomach so it can be further digested. And what does that have to do with passing gas? I think what it does is because it's eating the food, and then it goes into the compartment, and then it chews back up, and then eats it again, and then that kind of has to do with the microbes. 
mm-hmm. because then when it chews back up and eats again, soon afterwards, it's going to be a fart. <laughs> a cow fart. To tell us is producer Mark Sanchez. Irene's guess is right on the money. Cows have microbes in their guts, too, but their digestion works differently than ours. The gas cows pass is mostly in the form of methane. But what a lot of people don't know is how they let it out. About 93% of methane from cows is released through their mouths, not their backsides. Cows are part of a class of mammals called ruminants. Goats, sheep, bison, they're all ruminants too. And the thing that makes these animals alike is the part of their stomachs called the rumen. Some of you may have heard that cows have four stomachs. Technically, that's not true. Cows, like all ruminants, have one stomach with four compartments, or chambers. The rumen is the first chamber, and that's where all the gas comes from, through a process called fermentation. When a cow eats, say, a big helping of grass or corn, there's hardly any chewing that goes on. They pretty much swallow everything whole. From there, it's off to the rumen, and that's where the microbes start to feast. This is what sets off fermentation. The leftovers of what the microbes don't use come out in the form of methane. I talked to Ermias Kebriab. He's a professor at UC Davis, and he studies cows and methane. And he broke down how cows break down their food. If you look at grass, they have cellulose. Cellulose is basically sugar or, or, or starch that sort of uh, join together. And uh, they have strong bonds that the microbes can uh, attack and break down. They use that to grow themselves. So when they are breaking it down and, and using it to build their own bodies, they produce hydrogen. There are other types of microbes in the rumen that feed off hydrogen. Those are called methanogens. And it's these methanogen microbes that give off, you guessed it, methane. cow can't break down and ferment all its food at once. So what happens next might seem a little gross to you and me, but they sort of burp up a little ball of food called cud. You remember the mystery sound? That was a cow bringing her cud back into her mouth and chewing it up again. That's what they do. And that's also how she releases the methane built up in her rumen. Several chews later, she swallows and sends her cud back down and the microbes start the whole process again. This happens over and over until all the nutrients from that cud have been absorbed. A healthy cow is pretty much constantly producing methane and releasing it into the atmosphere. And it turns out all that methane can be problematic. Just like carbon dioxide and water vapor, methane is a greenhouse gas, basically a gas that can trap heat. You may have heard that excess greenhouse gases are contributing to climate change and heating up the earth too quickly. But they're not all bad. We need greenhouse gases in moderation to stay warm. Without greenhouse gases, we won't be able to survive on earth because the average temperature of earth would be minus 18 degrees centigrade if there was no greenhouse gas effect. For those of you playing in the U.S., that's just below zero degrees Fahrenheit. Pretty chilly. But with all the cows and goats and cars and coal-burning factories we rely on, we're producing too many greenhouse gases. Hermias is trying to figure out how to cut down the amount of methane cows give off. 
One way to do that is to change their diets. If you provide animals with easily degradable, uh, less fibrous materials, then you would reduce the amount of methane that's produced as well. Very, very recently, there has been a development where a company has come up with a compound that would inhibit the production of, of methane, and they have shown that they can reduce it by about 30%. A 30% reduction in methane could be a huge breakthrough when it comes to cutting back the amount of greenhouse gases that are warming up the earth. But like Ermais said, this is a brand new discovery. And there will need to be a lot of testing before this idea could have any major impact. Luckily, the farts that we humans produce are not a major contributor to the amount of greenhouse gases. So, go ahead. Enjoy those beans and broccoli. Thanks, Mark. Everyone passes gas. The gas is produced by the trillions of microbes living in our guts. And without these microorganisms, we wouldn't be able to digest food. And when we fart, it's actually their gas we're letting out. The smell of the gas the microbes produce depends on what we eat. And the sound the gas makes when it comes out is controlled by our bodies. Before we wrap up this episode, it's time to answer this question from Jasper. Hi, my name is Jasper Cavanaugh. I am nine years old and from Chapel Hill. My question is, how does the Earth support really heavy buildings like the Empire State Building? It's time for our moment of um. The crust of the Earth is actually very thick. It's about 20 miles thick. My name is Rona Cox, and I'm a professor of geosciences at Williams College. If you imagine that the Earth is like an orange, so you know when you hold an orange, it's got all the little lumpy bits on the skin? The mountain ranges on the surface of the Earth would be smaller than the lumps on the skin of the orange. So the Empire State Building looks really big to us and it looks really heavy, but compared to how big the Earth is and compared to how thick the crust of the Earth is, it's really not very big at all. And so the Earth doesn't even notice that it's there. But of course, if you go to a place where you're not actually building on the bedrock of the Earth's crust, but you are putting your building up on soft sediments, like dirt, mud, sand, then your building could sink into it. But it wouldn't be sinking into the crust, it would be sinking into the soft goo. It'd be like, instead of making a Lego castle on a table, if you went and tried to build a Lego castle on a soupy, gooey, swampy tub of mud, and the Lego castle would sink into that. And that's why the Leaning Tower of Pisa is leaning because it's not on solid rock and the ground that it was built on is settling underneath it. While you contemplate the bumps on the nearest orange, I'm going to hand out virtual high fives to the most recent group of kids to be added to the Brains Honor Roll. Sophie from Ringgold, Georgia, William from Dallas, Georgia, Liam and Louise from Madison, Wisconsin, Judah from San Jose, California, Lyra from Glenside, Pennsylvania, Zachary from Brookfield, Wisconsin, Ella from Alpharetta, Georgia, Anna from Greer, South Carolina, Yakira, Nadav and Lior from Brookline, Massachusetts, Dalton from Dubai, Louis from Wellington, New Zealand, Celie from Minneapolis, Everett from Ecuador, Elsa and Axel from Southbridge, Massachusetts, Ian, Hudson and William from New York City, Frank from Muir Beach, California, 
Abigail from Egan, Minnesota, Cora and Gunner from San Marcos, Texas, Simon from DeLand, Florida, Charlie from Morrow, Ohio, Isabel and Aubrey from Eagle Mountain, Utah, Juniper and Carver from Berkeley, Sawyer from Tacoma, Washington, Sylvia and Lily from Decorah, Iowa, Una and Dorothy from Evanston, Illinois, Daniela from Frederick, Maryland, Tibby, Ben and Nate from Arlington, Virginia, Cameron and Grace from Simi Valley, California, Yuri from Gainesville, Florida, Cass from Hamden, Connecticut, Sam and Reese from Toronto, Henry and Owen from Portland, Oregon, Sophia from Rontoul, Illinois, Madeline from Detroit, Matthias and Elise from New Orleans, Anna and Lucy from San Diego, Penny and Loretta from Portland, Oregon, Mark from Madison, Wisconsin, and Jackie and Alex from Long Valley, New Jersey. That's it for this episode of Brains On. This episode was produced by Mark Sanchez, Sandin Totten, and Molly Bloom. Many thanks to Michael Sadowski, Laura Zabel, Levi Weinhagen, Sunpreet Kaur of UC Davis, Justin Sewell of UC San Francisco, Glenn R. Gibson of the University of Reading, James Buxbaum of the University of Southern California, Evan Clark, Doug Rowe, Eric Ringham, and Joe Thiegs. You can listen to past episodes at our website, brainson.org. Or in your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at brains underscore on. And we're on Facebook, too. And you can email us anytime at brainson at m as in Minnesota, pr.org. Thanks for listening.